Welcome to Scripps Talks. Today we have Ryan Lytle joining us from San Francisco. Ryan is a graduate of the School of Journalism from uh, a few years ago. We'll, we'll review some of that. He now works at Adobe where he was employed late last year and uh, we're anxious to hear his story. Adobe is very much in the news with our students, Ryan, because they gave permission for their software to be used at home. On behalf of my students, let me just say to you how grateful we are for, uh, for Adobe's uh, generosity. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to catch up and, and great to you know, talk about Ohio University, talk about the Scripps School of Journalism, and certainly talk about Adobe and talk about my career. I'm, I'm happy to be here. The main theme of this podcast series was to talk about the impact of COVID-19 on people's jobs and the industries that they work in. So let's start at that point and just say, you know, how are things in San Francisco and how are things working at Adobe given the realities of social distancing? It's a really good question. And I know, you know, we have a number of products at Adobe that helps support this moment, especially the media industry. I think I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to work in an industry, obviously like the tech industry, that has really given a lot of flexibility in, in where you work, you know, even before this moment. You know, a number of the, the teams that I work with are located around the world. And so the only way we can really connect is through virtual conferencing, you know, whether that's through BlueJeans or, or Zoom or FaceTime. We've really already had a lot of those pieces in place. Now, when you take a company that is 23,000 plus strong, we are talking about an entire company now working off of these systems. And so it's been really interesting to see how that's really worked. You know, there's the joke of, you know, now we'll finally understand all of those meetings that could have just been emails. You read a lot about how virtual conferencing really is sometimes more draining than in person because you kind of feel like you have to always be on. That's been quite interesting. One of the things that I've really found is that I feel like I've, I've been probably almost as, as effective remotely than I can be in person. And, you know, some of that is I can really kind of create my own schedule in the morning. I'm not thinking about a commute. I'm not looking for parking. I'm not navigating the elevators. You know, a lot of it is really kind of direct. I have a certain time I get up, I work out, I have breakfast and coffee, and then I can kind of slowly get ready to, to jump on calls and, and the work that really comes ahead. So I think there's been that piece, but then on the other side, certainly you really do miss that in-person piece that, that the office provides, the camaraderie. So we spend a lot of time just obviously checking in on each other, with my staff, I, I try to spend some time for us each week to do kind of a happy hour or, you know, coffee break of sorts where we just catch up and not talk about work. And so that's really been some of the ways that we've kind of been trying to, to figure out this time. There certainly isn't a playbook for it yet, but there, there will be. Well, you had not been at Adobe very long when COVID-19 descended upon us. So I started at Adobe in November, actually the week before Thanksgiving, and then Adobe graciously shuts down during the, the holidays in December, and so came back in the new year, and by the end of February, we were really to the point of closing down offices. 
you know, starting to work from home. I'm actually, it's, you know, May 12th, and, and this is actually week nine of Adobe working remotely. And so it's, it's been quite, a, quite an interesting time here. So I, I was basically about three months in when this kind of moment in time really occurred. You're having to make a tremendous number of adjustments, not the least of which is moving from the East Coast. Even, even though you're from Cincinnati, you were living and working in New York City, and now you're on the West Coast. What are some of the significant adaptations that you've had to make, or are, are there any significant adaptations? Working in New York City versus working in San Jose, California, or San Francisco are wildly different. You know, you have the energy of New York City. You have, you know, really the, the closeness, I mean, in physical proximity, riding the subway, being around 50 to 70 to 100 of your closest friends on the subway every morning. That piece was, was certainly different. The time difference is, is, a bit, is a big one. You know, we, we still work with a lot of partners on the East Coast, so there's still early morning calls that, that I'll jump on. Basically, the, the country starts on the East Coast, so that was like a, a little bit of a transition. You know, overall, I would say the transition wasn't hard in terms of the overall work. I think a lot of it was, you know, the, the emotional piece of really moving across the country, of moving away from a life that my wife and I had for about eight years in New York. And I think that was that was the most difficult part of this overall adaptation or, or change was the physical part of moving. That was that was certainly tough. I have to believe that when COVID nineteen came ashore and we saw what was happening in New York City, you had to have some reaction to the fact that you weren't having to cope with some of those challenges. I've had a number of friends who have contracted COVID-19 who who are in New York City. And, you know, I spent a number of years also in Connecticut and Fairfield County in Connecticut was hit very hard. Westport, Connecticut was one of the the hotbeds, one of the epicenters in the state, which really was pretty close to, to where I was, Stanford, where my wife and I lived for, for a few years at one point, and I, I haven't looked at the numbers in a while, at one point had the most cases in all of Connecticut. I, I think about you know my trip into the city on a daily basis, riding the Metro North, which carries hundreds of thousands of people on a daily basis, riding the subway, all the close proximity to other people and how easy it is for, for this to spread. The timing of, of leaving before this really hit, you know, I think we feel very fortunate that we were able to avoid a lot of that. But certainly at the same time, thinking about a number of our friends and others, you know, some of my colleagues who, who are kind of living through that, you know, it's, it's incredibly difficult to think about. Here in Athens, we, you know, we're, we're practicing social distancing and it's affecting the, the local economy and the university in a very severe way, but in the county, I think so far, we've only had six cases, nothing like what you might expect in a hot spot. Um, so we do feel some, I wouldn't say immunity, but some, some relief that it hasn't hit us yet and hopefully won't. The, the one thing, and, and this is what I've talked with, with other family in Ohio, especially areas that haven't been hit that hard, is just, you know, just because it hasn't hit there yet you know we still have to be vigilant we still have to be safe making the most responsible choices right now is going to help pay off later so making those sacrifices now to 
to be safe, to stay in, it's very important. Let's talk a little bit about your job. What is it that Adobe hired you to do? Adobe is essentially a house of products. And so you have Creative Cloud, which you know has products like Photoshop and Premiere and Illustrator. You have you know, Experience Cloud that has Analytics and Target and Magento and Marketo. You have Document Cloud, which has Acrobat and Adobe Sign. And then you have Brand at Large, which is, which is Adobe. And so each of these categories, each of these product lines had their own social lead that then rolled up into a separate comms lead. And so, you know, it was effective, but also not completely aligned in terms of overall strategy. So you may have, you know, a social strategy on Creative Cloud side. You have a social strategy for Document Cloud, for Experience Cloud, for Brand. And they may not overlap or align or be able to be supportive of each other to really help the brand see greater awareness or lift in the marketplace. And so, you know, really what my role was as a as I came in. Um, so I, I took over to, to lead the global social media program here at Adobe. It's really to align these teams and, and centralize it. Right now, what we're really working toward is an aligning of the categories and centralization of a number of the functions. We're always going to have subject matter experts in, in each part of the business because it's incredibly important. You know, we have a, an incredible community who are experts in all the intricacies of, of each product line of, you know, all the new features, all the releases. And so that's incredibly important, but there are a number of things, you know, overall paid strategy our influencer marketing, you know, just overall kind of broad uh, campaign through lines that, that need to be connected. And so that's really where, you know, the, the opportunity arose for me to take on this opportunity is to, to really kind of help align those to, to build a larger social strategy overall that can not only support each category, but then can help bring the brand to larger relevance. We certainly don't have an awareness problem when it comes to products like Photoshop or Acrobat or Illustrator, but I would would also say that those products at times can be larger than the brand. And that's not always a bad thing, but also there is a lot to be said about, you know, creative community who can use a number of these different products to, to improve the work that they do, to create, to support. And so that's really where my focus is and, and where my team's focus is at, is trying to connect these different pieces to make it a, a more cohesive message. For some reason, Ryan, I have to believe that when we first met, when you were a student, you would never have imagined having a job like this job. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, it, just thinking about, you know, I came to see you in 2007. I think it was the summer after my freshman year. I graduated in 2010. So I came in 2007. And at that point, I hadn't even had a Twitter account yet. Social media was MySpace, Facebook. And that was really kind of the two big ones, at least at, at that point. And MySpace was kind of declining at that point. So Correct. The fact that the job that I have today, the fact that it didn't really fully exist at that point, you know, there's always been 
community professionals within different industries, whether it was managing message boards or listening to the audience, you know, taking in letters from the audience for newspapers, but there really hadn't been this particular role. So completely correct. I would have never imagined that working at Adobe number one, but also this role, which didn't really exist at that point. And I would say it's probably the case that jobs like yours that, that you have now wouldn't necessarily be on the radar of our current students. I think sometimes we're quite traditional in terms of how we think of journalism, even on the strategic communication side. But to have a position that is global and focuses on communication and audience, these are obviously related to journalism. I'm not surprised that you're there knowing who you are and the skill set you have and the character that you have. But I have to say, it's also quite lovely when you hear about a student, a former student, who has made his way into this kind of a position. It's, it's a bit of a reminder to me of all the different things that graduates can do with a journalism degree. I know we've talked about this quite a bit. I worked in media for 10 years. My first real professional job out of college was working at U.S. News and World Report. I had interned at, uh, you know, the Cincinnati Inquirer, the Washington Post, the Today Show. I really always kind of thought and felt that I was always going to be in media, that I was going to be a media lifer. And then, you know, about 10 years in, at Discovery and, you know, who was the parent company for Food Network and HGTV and Travel Channel and TLC and all these other networks. And, you know, I always kind of felt like I wanted to try something else. Like I wanted to try a different industry. One of my biggest concerns was how can I take that leap? How can I get there? Are my skills transferable in that way? And for a while, I, I really couldn't figure out how to really position that message. But one of the things that I've really learned through this moment in particular, but also as I was thinking about other roles outside of, you know, I guess, quote unquote, traditional media is that the skills that I learned, you know, at Ohio University and just the journalism education, it has opened so many different opportunities for me. I mean, I think about on a daily basis, just overall how I communicate with people. You know, I think about overall, even just the amount of emails I write, the, the copywriting I do on a on a daily basis, even just thinking about some of the ideas, like being in a place where you can think creatively and think about how these pieces work together. It's a, it's a lot, you know, on a daily basis, I'm, I'm part of a company that gets to just tell stories and that's related to journalism and that's related to the media world in, in so many ways. And so, you know, I think the, the skills that I was able to acquire at Ohio University and also through those internships really kind of set the groundwork for me in the framework for, you know, what this role has ultimately become. I mean, certainly there's been a number of things I've learned along the way, but I think it was kind of that foundational piece that I picked up at OU and at the script school that have really kind of set that stage. So I'm going to turn the tables a little bit on you and ask you to be a little bit of a, a professor here or, or an advisor to our current students Partly in the context of COVID-19, but also just in the larger sense, what are some of the key life lessons that, that you think are worth imparting based on your own journey to a young person or maybe even somebody in high school who is thinking about 
journalism or some related profession? The first one is that career progression isn't fully linear. I felt very fortunate during my early years, even when I was at Ohio University. You know, I switched into the journalism school my sophomore year. My junior year, I landed an internship with the Washington Post. My senior year, I landed an internship with the Today Show. I graduated as the the top senior in my particular track within the journalism school. And then I did some work with MTV, and then I went to U.S. News and World Report, and then I went to Mashable, and I kind of felt like, okay, I have this momentum, and it's never going to stop. It's just continual uphill. And, you know, one of the things that kind of hit me at one point was I had a number of setbacks, I would say, probably over a two- to three-year period wasn't feeling fully fulfilled with the work I was doing. I didn't always feel this high level of motivation. That was something that was really tough. And I think if I had kind of gone into it knowing that there are going to be these obstacles, that there's going to be these speed bumps along the way, I might have not gotten so complacent about it. And so that was a big one. And and just knowing I still put in the work. I still thought about where I wanted to be, but also, and I mean, I'm obsessive about it. No matter what you do, you're you're not. It's not going to just be a linear uphill climb. Just like it's not if you feel like your career is in a free fall. It isn't just a linear decline. You know, there's the ups and downs, and so that is a big one, especially in this industry where it's very competitive and can be really difficult, and and sometimes just not always you know fun, and you question why you do it. And so that was really really helpful. Another one for me is. I used to kind of say, like, you need to network, you need to network, you need to network. I still believe that, but I think it's, I kind of reframe it a little bit differently now, where it's much more about, you know, the relationships matter more than anything. And, and so everyone is different. Not everyone loves the traditional networking where you, you go out and you meet certain people or you cold email people. And I, I used to do that and it was like, everyone can do this. And, and really, like, everyone can but not everyone is built that way. A lot of it is really thinking about who are those relationships career-wise, personal-wise that you can really invest in. And I've been fortunate both on the career side and on the personal side to, to have both some great mentors and some great friends. And so I think those things are really important to really think about. And I guess the last one for me, thinking about college in general and, and those years is really take advantage of those people that you have direct contact with, those professors, those alumni. It's so important, really at any time, but but especially now, like uh, for students who are just at home and, you know, doing the distance learning and, you know, looking for ways to just stay active. Like this is a good time to try and tap some of those alumni networks and, even, you know, I kind of just said about, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's hard to do some of this outreach, but in college, you really have that permission to reach out to really anyone. I mean, I was shocked of the kind of people at times I was able to get in touch with as a student because I played it that way, that I was a student, really admired a person's work and really wanted to, to learn more about how they operated. And I had a fairly high success rate. There were plenty of, of people, understandably, who just never followed up, but I was quite surprised by the number of responses I would get and the, the advice that would be imparted. I do want to have you talk about how storytelling, even in a role like you're in now, 
the role that storytelling plays and also how you manage other people. Those two things I think are something that I think about you having special skills in. So maybe you could share a little bit about that. Even talking about the role I'm in. I mean, you think about brands, like brands are built off of storytelling. Like why are people loyal to Nike? Why are people loyal to Adidas? Why are people loyal to Adobe or Google or, you know, whatever the the products, Patagonia, a lot of it is really about that storytelling. We have our broad campaign through line, which is creativity for all. Essentially, anyone, anywhere, in any profession, in any walk of life is creative. And we also believe that creativity is one of the, if not the most important skill really for this next generation. And there have been a number of studies and, and reports and surveys, you know, one that I, I recall from, from LinkedIn, where creativity is you know, essentially the number one soft skill for this new generation. And really for, for all of us, the storytelling piece is essentially our entire lifeblood, whether you work in a, a legacy newspaper or a broadcast station or at a, at a magazine or at a digital first publication or, you know, at a brand like Adobe or, or Amazon or Nike. I mean, these are all built on storytelling. It is an incredible skill to be able to tell a story for brands, but also when you are interviewing, when you're looking for a job, the story that you tell about yourself, the way that you frame the work that you do, the way that you frame, you know, how you can impact another business. I mean, it's all built on storytelling. That's how we really get by in society. For me, it is basically 80% of my job in terms of, you know, the work I do. And, and actually that percentage is, is way off because, you know, you wanted me to, to lean into the, the management conversation too. So I would say it's really my job in particular, I'd say is 50-50 really in, in the storytelling and uh, the management piece. And so my, my role at Adobe, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a team behind me and, you know, it's a team of about 15. And the great thing about a team like this is that there are so many different skill sets. There are so many areas where people are quite skilled in certain aspects of the work, whether it's influencer marketing or, you know, our paid strategy or overall social governance, organization, attention to detail. There are a lot of skill sets that are um, kind of built out within my team. And really the important thing about managing, and I, and I would say about leading overall, is allowing those skill sets to rise up, allowing those people who are really strong in certain areas to essentially take the lead and, and help push through the work that needs to get done. Um, you know, I think on my end, like I'm, I'm, I lead this global social team, but I wouldn't say, you know, I'm an expert in every part of the work we do. Um, that's why we have a team. We have people who are incredibly skilled in certain areas who I can really lean on and, and tap into to support some of the work, support the strategy. Um, and really what I do is, is help support, help lift up, help really frame the story that we are going to tell in market, but also internally with other colleagues, with other teams. That's really where 
I can play a part is is being able to bring all of these different skill sets together in a cohesive way. And so I think, you know, for that, it's allowing people to shine. I don't need the credit for our successes. When our team is successful, it's going to reflect well on me regardless. So really, I want those opportunities for the people on my team to, to really have that, that time to shine because also they work for it. I always want to make sure that the proper people are getting their credit and that the right people and the best people that we have on our teams who can solve certain problems are involved from the start. I think that's the thing that I've really been focused on and been vigilant about in, in the work that I've been doing at Adobe. Well, I'm glad we were able to let you share some of the Ryan Lytle story with our podcast audience. Thank you so much for being on Scripps Talks today, and, and best of luck to you with this still relatively new position. I really appreciate it, Dr. Stewart, and thank you for letting me tell the story. Of, on my end, uh, tomorrow you know, marks six months that we've been here in California, so I appreciate getting to, to mark this moment with, uh, with you. It should be posted on your anniversary. So congratulations. Excellent. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Ryan Lytle from Adobe in San Francisco.